0: We're turning tonight in the scriptures to Daniel chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 21. Daniel chapter 11, verse 21. If you have your Bible there, turn to the place. As I've said before, it's good to hear the word, but it's also good to see it. The words will also come up on the screen, but we encourage all who are listening online to get their own copy of the Bible and to follow the reading. They may want to underline some important things that jump out of them. So it's always good to underline because then you can come back to it and look at it again. Let's hear the word of the Lord Daniel chapter 11, verse 21. And in his estate, shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries and with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken yea also the prince of the covenant and after the league made with him He shall work deceit, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably, even upon the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his fathers' fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds, even for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with the very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. And both these kings hearts shall be to do mischief and they shall speak lies at one table but it shall not prosper for yet the end shall be at the appointed time then shall he return unto his land with great riches and his heart shall be against the holy covenant and he shall do exploits and return to his own land at the time appointed he shall return and come toward the south but it shall not be as the former or as the latter. For the ships of Shittim shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and shall return and of indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. And arms shall stand in his part. And they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword, and by flame, by captivity. And by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall. They shall be holpen with a little help. But many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them of understanding shall fall. To try them. And to purge. And to make them white. Even to the time of the end. Because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of woman, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God Whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy. And utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this evening is taken from Daniel chapter 11. Verses 21 to 45. And my theme this evening is entitled Understanding Antiochus Epiphanes, A Foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Now Daniel 11, as I have told you in the past, is one of the most detailed prophecies in the whole of the Bible. It includes some amazing historical details about the rise of great Gentile emperors, political developments, historical intrigue, stretching right up to the end of times, including the rise of Antichrist himself, as it affects the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem in the past, in the present, and even into the future. Now remember the introduction to chapter 11 is given in chapter 10 verse 1. It takes place in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus. Two years after, the remnant of Jews have been given permission by Cyrus to go back to their homeland and to begin the rebuilding of the temple. And you can read about that in Ezra chapter 2, verse 46. Now, this final vision of Daniel encompasses the whole of the last three chapters. That's important. You have to grasp that. Chapter 10, verses 1 to 21, chapter 11, verses 1 to 45, chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, are all connected. And they all must be read together. Now, I can't physically read them together to you, for that would take up a bit of time. But in chapter 10, verse 1, where you've got the word in, and in chapter 11, verse 1, you've got also I And then in chapter 12, verse 1, you've got the words, and at that time, it's all one long, detailed, historical, and prophetical vision. Now, a few weeks ago, we started to break it down into component parts. I preached the first message on what I entitled Daniel's vision of the long war. And then two weeks ago, we thought about the battle for Israel's survival And on that occasion, we thought about the agony of her warfare. We also thought about the accuracy of the Word of God. And I went through verse by verse, especially uh, up to verse 20 almost. And I began to show you some of the historical prophecies that have been fulfilled in secular history, all recorded uh, by Daniel as given to him by the angel. And then we thought as we closed the message about the appearance of the wicked one. And that's where we left off. We left off really at verse 21. And what I'm suggesting tonight is that Daniel 11 verse 21, right through to Daniel 11 verse 45, it has to do historically and prophetically with Antiochus Epiphanes and then he is a foreshadowing of the final Antichrist who is to come. Could I inform you that Antioch Epiphanes reign started in 175 BC to 164 BC? I would suggest to you that he was the worst tyrant in history. And tonight I want to present them to you as a foreshadowing of Antichrist himself. So we have three things that I want to try and show you from this passage of Scripture. I want you to think of the coming of Antiochus Epiphanes on the scene. So that's the first point. Look with me at chapter 11 verse 21. And it says, And in his estate... Shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honour of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Now, what do the words and his estate mean? It means, if you look at the margin, and in his place. Whose place? And the answer is a man called the Fourth, And Seleucus IV was the elder brother of Antiochus Epiphanes. Remember I told you in Daniel 11 verses 10 through to 20 has to do with a character called Antiochus the Great. And he has conquered the land of Palestine. And yet, strangely, and in the purposes of God, he is beaten by a smaller army called the Army of Ptolemy, king of the South, you see. And in chapter 11, verses 13 to 20, we will discover, if you read it carefully, that um, Ptolemy the Fourth is dead. And Ptolemy V takes the throne. But he's only four years of age. And Antioch the Great, he has taken the Holy Land from under Egyptian control. And in the hope of getting an advantage over Egypt, he offers his daughter called Cleopatra in marriage to Ptolemy V. This takes place in 195 BC. His daughter, Cleopatra sides with her young husband and she refuses to be a spy or a traitor so the marriage is of no advantage you can read about that marriage in Daniel chapter 11 verse 17 and he shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him thus shall he do and he shall give him the daughter of woman corrupting her, but she shall not stand in his sight, neither be for him. A huge battle takes place. He loses the battle, and then he has to surrender his elephant brigade, his navy, uh, his gold, his silver. He has to give up 20 hostages, and one of those hostages includes his second son, And his second son is taken into captivity and he spent his early years in Rome training as a fighter. And that son, that son became the dreaded Antiochus Epiphanes. And for 12 years, Antiochus, the great eldest son Seleucus IV, reigned over Palestine. His reign was marked by heavier taxes. He was poisoned to death by one of his ministers. And in his place, in his estate, emerged one by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. So you've got to think in verse 21 of what's taking place historically. Here's the coming of Antiochus Epiphanes on the scene. His reign began in 175 BC and it lasted to 164 BC, 11 years. A short time in comparison to others' when he dominated the world scene. See, we often think when a dictator arises, gains control, that there he is in power. He's wielding absolute power and control. No power on earth could stop them. Nothing or nobody can upset them. Yet such men often forget themselves that there's a God in heaven. And that one day their reign, their life will come to an end. You think of it, many men, especially dictators, spend their days in power, control, counting their wealth, filling themselves up with pomp and vanity and ceremony, triumphing in their sin. And they never think of their own mortality. They never think of how vulnerable they really are. They never think one moment they could be gone uh, and taken from this scene of time. They never think how fragile life is never think we're only here for a little time. See, Antiochus Epiphanes, as I've already told you, was the worst tyrant in human history as far as the Jews were concerned. Uh, Antiochus added the name Epiphanes uh, to his name. The word Epiphanes means to manifest or to appear. He, he borrowed that surname uh, Because he sought to reinforce the tradition of the uh, Seleucid kingdom. He therefore required men to worship him. Just like the men of ancient Greece worshipped Zeus. And he wanted to be worshipped in that way. He was hostile to Jewish worship. He was hostile to the worship of God as the one living and true God. He tried to impose by law the adoption of Greek culture, Greek names, Greek laws. He wanted the Greek religion to be uh, superseded uh, of the Jewish religion. He placed a Hellenistic high priest over the temple. He outlawed circumcision which is a right of the Jews. He outlawed dietary laws. He outlawed strict Sabbath observance. He outlawed even animal sacrifice. Isn't that what we read in the scriptures there? Didn't we understand that? Look at verse 31. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice. They shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. You see, in 1960 or sorry, in 168 BC, the Jews revolted. There you've got the, the Maccabean period or the Intertestament period. Antiochus Epiphanes, he viciously then slaughtered thousands of Jews who refused to obey the law and follow the Jewish tradition. Thousands were enslaved. In 167 BC, he placed a statue of the Greek god Zeus. In the Jewish temple, he had pigs slaughtered and offered uh, on the altar of um, in the holy of holies. He desecrated the holy place. This was an act so loathsome, so abhorrent, so detestable to the Jewish people that many of them rose up in rebellion. And there you've got, as I've said, the Maccabean period. The history of the Maccabean period is recorded in a book called the Apocrypha. Uh, It's useful for history, but it's not inspired scripture. That's why it's not in our authorized version. Now, remember this. This was a future prediction to Daniel. This was 175 to 164 BC. I want you to grasp that. God was saying through the angel to Daniel, by way of this vision, this is what is going to take place in the future time, Daniel. This is what's going to happen to your land, to your people in Jerusalem. Look at chapter 10, verse 14. This is a key verse. Now am I come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days? For yet the vision is for many days. This was about a prediction of the future. And I'm putting it to you tonight that in the days when Antiochus Epiphanes appeared in the scene, there was indeed a partial fulfillment of the scripture. It was fulfilled literally. It was fulfilled historically. But there's also, and I believe this, a future fulfillment yet to come. And that future fulfillment will be in the days of the coming of the final Antichrist. You see, you've got to understand tonight that when you're dealing with certain scriptures, there's often a dual fulfillment. There could be a first fulfillment, but there'll also be a final fulfillment. And and the coming, the lifestyle, the conquest, the downfall of Antichrist is being foreshadowed here by Antiochus Epiphanes, Daniel was to understand that. But also Daniel was to look forward to something more prophetic. According to the scripture, there's going to be a future fulfillment. If you look at Daniel um, chapter 11, it says in verse 35, Even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed, Verse 40, and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. If we also link it up tonight with the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, this is in the context of the last days. It says, verse 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, do you grasp that? Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. This was the Lord Jesus in the Olivet Discourse speaking about the last days. If we think of verse 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. So that's the subject. And in part of that discourse, the Lord Jesus said, when ye therefore shall see. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. And what I'm saying to you tonight is this: that when you compare scripture with scripture, then you've got to understand that what took place in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes was but a first fulfillment of of the abomination of desolation and the Lord Jesus foretold that there would be a future fulfillment in the days just prior to the end of the world when he would return. Now that's a very important verse. So I want you to underline that in your Bible because I want you to understand the dual fulfillment here. Let me turn you to another verse. Turn over there to um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says there in verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Notice these words. Who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Now that's another very important verse that you should underline in your Bible. Because if you compare that with uh, Daniel uh, chapter 11, it says, if you look with me at verse 36, Daniel 11, verse 36, and there's many other references that I could turn to. This is a specimen reference. Daniel eleven thirty six, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. See, Daniel is being told what is going to happen. Not only in the days of Antioch Epiphanies, but right up to the very end of time. All the actions, the appearance, the attitude uh, that, that are all attributed to Antioch Epiphanies, the same is going to apply to the final Antichrist. Now, I'll admit it's hard to understand It's hard to deal with a a dual fulfillment here in the Bible, but we have to see it in that light. It's hard to know when the picture uh, uh, of the portrait of one, Antioch Epiphanes ends, and the other, the final Antichrist, begins. These verses, I'm saying, while historical and have a literal fulfillment, they have to leap across the centuries, especially the latter verses. Verses uh, 35 right up to 45, leaping across the centuries, and they become not only historical but prophetical, dealing with details about the final Antichrist. I've already referred you to chapter 11, verse 35, even to the end of time. Because it is yet for an appointed time. Verse 40, and at the end of time. The scope, remember, is the latter days. And I'm saying to you again, remember, we're reading past history. It was all prophecy to Daniel. The days of Darius the Mede, the reign of Cyrus. And yet, what was all prophesied, historically came to pass. told you last time, 135 prophecies in Daniel 11 were fulfilled in secular history. And God is recording and revealing to Daniel real events, future events that are going to happen. While Epiphanes, or Antioch Epiphanes, has come, there's a king yet to come. And it was prophesied to Daniel. And Daniel is declaring his coming on the scene. His coming, Antioch Epiphanes, Points to that future, final Antichrist. A king just like him. He will be the future, final Antichrist. There's the coming of Antioch Epiphanes on the scene. Think very quickly, and secondly, of the character of Antioch Epiphanes in the Scriptures. Think about his person. Go back there to Daniel 11, verse 21. It says, and in his estate shall stand up a vile person, To whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overthrown from before him and shall be broken. Yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. For he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his father's have not done, nor his father's fathers. And he shall scatter them among the prey and spoil and riches, yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds, even for a time. Now, I want you to think not only of his coming, but to think of his character in the Scriptures. What's he like? Well, here we're giving an example of his person. He's a vile, ungodly person. We see that in verse 21. Shall stand up a vile person. That's a reference to the character and behavior of Antiochus Epiphanes. He also is a pretended peacemaker. Notice the words. But he shall come in peaceably. In other words, think of the words, and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. So he puts on a false front. He's got a silvery, oily tongue. He's going to use guile and stealth. He comes in with absolutely no hint of danger. And yet he's a warmonger. Look at verse 22. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overthrown from before him and shall be broken. Yea also, the prince of the covenant. Do you see that there? There's a change in his character. Once in, then they begin to notice and detect a change in his behavior. They're broken by by the threat of war. This person becomes strong. He's known in verse 22 as the prince of the covenant. Isn't that interesting? Because that ties into Daniel 9 and 27. He's also known as a deceitful worker because it says, and after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. See, all is going well. He comes in peaceably. There's no Bloodshed. He's for peace. A league and a covenant with the leaders in that day. And yet the man turns out to be a fraud. A deceitful worker. And after the covenant is made, that fraudulent, deceptive behavior comes to the fore. And the way that Antiochus Epiphanes worked, he's just like the final Antichrist. Whatever Antiochus Epiphanes is like, that's what the final Antichrist is going to be like. Antiochus Epiphanes ticks so many boxes of the final Antichrist. There's a likeness to the future final Antichrist in this man. Beyond what we read in the Bible, all that the Scriptures reveal about him, there's a hideous revelation of the final Antichrist to come. His names, his titles. Here he's called the Prince of the Covenant. Revelation 13 and 1, he's called the Beast. The Apostle Paul calls him there. in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and 3, the man of sin and son of perdition. The Apostle John called him the Antichrist. These two men are so closely uh, bound together that's hard to say where uh, one verse or one section ends and the other begins. Because these two men really merge into one man. Where you have a picture of one, you have the picture of the other. Only the picture from Antioch Epiphanes is intensified and magnified in the final Antichrist. And when he comes, he comes as a vile person. Here's his character. He's full of flattery. He comes with force, verse 22. He he, he, he comes in a fraudulent way, verse 23. He has no intention of honoring his position. The, the, The people have no sense of danger. So much so, do you know what happens? Ten kings in the revised Roman Empire, they give him their kingdoms. They pledge loyalty and fealty to him. Revelation chapter 13 and in the, sorry, chapter 17 and in the verse 13, uh, th- this is what we read. In Revelation chapter um, 17 and verse 13, we, we read these words. Listen to what's said. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. See, before Antichrist comes, there's the reviving of the Roman Empire. And it's those ten kings in that revised Roman Empire with no sense or thought of danger, no fear, and no fright, they pledge their loyalty to the Antichrist. They are of one mind. They have no reason to suspect any danger. To them, he's a nobody. To, to, To them, he's but a figurehead. To them, they'll pull the strings. They'll control him. But he's the one that ends up with the great power. Of persuasion. He pretends he's for peace. And yet all the while he comes with flattery. Backing it up with force. And fraudulent dealings. He's the little horn of Daniel 7. He's the king of fierce countenance. Daniel 8, 23. He's the prince of the covenant. Daniel 9 and 27. Daniel eleven twenty two. He comes into the land of Israel. A place of prominence. Without hint of danger. He comes in as a protector, comes with flatteries, and obtains the kingdom. That's his personage. I want you to notice very quickly here his persecution, and you can read that from verses 30 right through to verse 34. I'm not going to read the portion, but what he does is this. In 167 BC, he sets up the Greek god Zeus in the temple, he uh, gets the pigs, he slaughters them and puts their blood on the altar. And um, he uh, slaughters many Jews and there's, it's a time of persecution. And um, what the first Antichrist did, Antiochus Epiphanes, the final Antichrist will do only in a greater scale. And we could preach a whole sermon on the abomination of desolation. But I want you to understand, again, there's a first fulfillment and there's a final fulfillment. Notice, thirdly, his power. If you think about his character, as revealed in the scriptures. Look at verse 36. I've got to move quickly here. And the king shall do according to his will. He acts in self-will. He rules like an absolute sovereign. He's full of self centeredness, full of selfish ends, full of selfish motives. Where did he get his power from? Well, remember, the ten kings have pledged their loyalty to him. They have given their kingdoms to him to help to rule. And he takes them over. And of course, behind him, the devil has given him his power. And the devil. Uh, establishes him as a world monarchy that, that arrivals all four world empires that ever have been the Babylonians the Medes the Persians the Grecians the Romans if you turn over there to Revelation chapter 13 and look with me at verses 1 and 2 just to back that up at Revelation 13 uh, verses 1 and 2 you need to mark these scriptures I would encourage you to listen to this message again it says And great authority. And the dragon, of course, is the devil. That that old serpent. The the arch deceiver of God's people. And he exercises tremendous power. He's really, folks, Satan's superman on earth. And isn't the world tonight crying out for a superman? A powerful ruler. We're fed up with corrupt politicians. We're fed up with confused politicians. We want a peacemaker. We, 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 We want to live at peace. Someone who'd sort out the world's problems. Could someone sort out the Middle East and stop the Jews and the Arabs Sort it out for once and for all? This man will emerge as a sole sovereign ruler. I want you to think of his power. I want you to think of his pride. Look at verse 36 again. It says, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. Can you see that? Antiochus Epiphanes opposed upon the Jewish community in 167, 68 BC. Greek gods upon the religious life of Israel. There's proof enough he's anti-God. But this man is not just anti-God. This man is atheistic in himself. What's he do? Think of these words and magnifies himself above every God and speaks marvelous things against the God of gods. Is not exactly what the Apostle Paul told us that the final Antichrist is going to do. He says, "...who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God." And over there in Daniel seven twenty-five, the little horn, it says this, Daniel 7, verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. See, the final Antichrist, he too is going to desecrate the temple and it will be after the pattern of Antioch Epiphanes. He will abolish the Jewish sacrifice. He will exalt himself as God in the temple. Now today, of course, there is no temple. There's no animal sacrifices. There are no priesthood. And all that has to be revived. And it will be revived in the days of the reviving of the Roman Empire and the emerging of Antichrist. Did you know that in 586 BC, the Jewish nation under the Babylonians ceased to exist? Even in A.D. 70, the Jewish nation was under the Gentile rule of Rome. Think of the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus in A.D. 70. From 586 B.C., in the days of Daniel, right up to 1948, there was no Jewish nation or Jewish state. In 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn. In 1967, Jerusalem for the first time from the days of Nebuchadnezzar became the sole capital of the new state of Israel. And I put it to you, if that's been already fulfilled, then there'll come a time when even the temple itself will be rebuilt and there'll be the re-establishment of Jewish sacrifices, because they have to be for Antichrist to abolish them. We need to keep our eye on the emergence of the Roman Empire. As it's revived under the ten kings That will give rise and prominence to Antichrist himself Think not only of his pride But think of his proclamation Time has gone Verse 36 Notice it says again If you go back to Daniel 11 um, In Daniel 11 in the verse 36 there It tells us that he shall speak Marvelous things Against God Do you see that? Underline that in your Bible because that's a most interesting statement. He shall speak um, marvelous things against the God of gods. A blasphemer against God without equal. Insulting the true and the living God. Making a big claim that he is above the true God. That he's inferior to none. That he's going to rule and reign as God. That's why Daniel, in Daniel 7, 25, had the little horn. That's Antichrist. It's in view. There's further proof he's anti-God. And of course, you can read the same thing in Revelation chapter 13, verse is 5 and 6. And the amazing thing is that God allows him. Look, look at these words. And shall prosper. Can you imagine being a blasphemer against the God of heaven and still being allowed to prosper, allowed to remain? Allowed to rule for a time, prosecuting and persecuting all before him, making war with the people of God. Notice his perversion, verse 37: Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of woman, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. This man is so perverted, no respect for human tradition, no respect for heritage. No, no respect for religion or woman. I've asked myself the question: Does Antichrist lack like the tenderness and graciousness of true womanhood? Does Antichrist even lean toward a homosexual lifestyle that seems to be emerging on the scene? We're not sure, but we know he's, he's a perverted character. It says in the scriptures, nor regard nor the desire of woman. Think of his purpose. Verses 38 and 39. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. What does that mean? He worships the God of military might. He's like Nebuchadnezzar. He's like Cyrus. He's like Darius the Mede, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar. You see, he puts his faith in the power of military might and munitions. He, he, he favors the armaments of war. The, 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 he's embracing the force of arms so that he can devour and destroy the whole earth like a flood. He uses incredible, mighty power. He's a warmonger. He makes a god out of war and conflict, backed up by silver and gold. and the seat of his power, is in the middle east where is he set between look verse 44 45 and he shall plant the tabernacle of his palaces between the seas and the glorious holy mountain what seas the dead sea to the right of jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea to the left of Jerusalem. And in the middle you've got Mount Moriah. And one of its peaks is the Mount of Des- Mount Zion. And that's the very place where he sets himself up. And, and whenever he's opposed. Antichrist is victorious. Because a future king of the south. And a future king of the north. Which is the Assyrians. And, and the Egyptians. And they, they come against him to warfare. And and the trigger mechanism Could be the very covenant That he's made with Israel To rebuild the temple And he's victorious That's his purpose Notice lastly Time has gone Think of the conquest Of Antiochus Epiphanes That's shown Notice this in verse 45 Yet he shall come to his end And none shall help him Now think of this man as we finish He's got this demand for worship He wants to be worshipped as God He's got this design for war He's the destroyer of the true worshippers of God He's a deifier of true deity He's a denier of the word He's a despiser of the work And this man for a time goes from victory to victory And yet This mad bad man Is brought to a sad end how do I know that? Well, that's what the scripture says. Yet he shall come to his end. Link it up there with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. If you connect it up with verse 36 as I finish, it says, there in verse 36. Till the indignation be accomplished. For that, that is determined, shall be done. Do you see that there? In other words, God is sovereign. And God is sovereign in time and places and people and in a history. And he allows one to rise up. He brings down another. And, and, and he, he does that because the Lord overrules all evil. To fulfill his great plan and purpose of redemption. Genesis 3 verse 15. See that's the Lord's purpose. The great plan of redemption being fulfilled. You being saved and brought into a saving knowledge of Christ. And even though that plan is resisted in time. That plan will be ultimately fulfilled. And it has been fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. And it will be gloriously fulfilled. In the second coming of Christ. And the devil knows that his time is short. And the devil knows that one day he will ultimately be defeated. And in that day he'll have to bow the knee to Christ. And he's doing his best to blind people to the great light and liberty of the gospel. Is he blinding you tonight? Is your eyes closed to Christ? Is your eyes closed to your sin? Your need of salvation to your soul? If there's a conquest of this man who's mad and bad called Antiochus Epiphanes, if there's even the conquest of the final Antichrist when Jesus Christ comes in power and glory, that even him will have to bow the knee and declare that Jesus is Lord, then every sinner will have to bow the knee. We urge you to bow the knee now to Christ. We, We urge you to come to him because the Lord is overruling all time, all events, all people, to fulfill his purpose of redemption because Jesus sees And he wants to save you tonight. If you'll come and receive him. The Lord bless you. Thank you for listening.